Dare we open Pandora's mystic box? To every generation, a slayer is born, except this time, there were six. This is the dimension of imagination. You are entering the mystic zone. Do you ladies see that aura? Something wonderful this way comes. Welcome to the Mystic Order podcast. We're the Mystic Order of East Alabama fiction writers, six women of an age seeking the sublime in the ordinary. I'm Mystic Marion, the dog whisperer. I'm Mystic Joanne, the mystic defender. And I'm Mystic Mary, the nebulous mystic. And I'm Mystic Gail, the queen. Today we have a special guest with us. Welcome, Melissa Dixon Jackson. Yes, welcome. We're glad to have Melissa here. We need another writer among us. We do. Melissa's not only a writer, she's also a visual artist, the mother of four gorgeous children. Whoa, that's a lot. That's a lot. I gave her one of mine. (laughs) She's the author of Two collections of poetry that I'm familiar with, Cameo, which came out from New Plains Press, and Sweet Aegis from Negative Capability Press. Melissa also has a BFA from Auburn University and an MFA in Visual Art from the School of Visual Arts in New York. She has an MFA in Creative Writing from Converse, and presently she teaches writing at the University of West Georgia and writes for a number of publications. Melissa... Tell us some of those publications. Right now I'm writing for the uh, Coweta County Chamber of Commerce magazine, Thrive, and those are tough articles to write. Why? Well, because they're business-oriented, and they're just really out of my wheelhouse, and they require a lot of interviews and and research. So they're challenging, but I've learned a lot doing that. And I also write for Lifestyles magazine, which is the south side of Atlanta magazine. And you edited, along with Scott Wilkerson, uh, Stone River Sky, which was an anthology of Georgia poems. Neat. When, when were you in South Carolina? Because I grew up next door to Converse. I was there 2009 to 2011, that, that window of time. A little after me. Right. What did yeah. your parents say about you getting all those degrees and staying in college for, I'm assuming, 10 years? Well, my father quit helping, I think, my second quarter back during the quarter system, second or third quarter at Auburn, uh, when I moved out of the dorms. Oh, yeah. So they weren't impressed, but my dad was glad I went back to writing. Is your father a writer? No. Um, and you know, it's funny that I just said that, because I, my father was dead by the time I went back to writing. <laughs> yes, well, th- this but, brings but us he, to our subject today. Because he always, said that, uh, he always said that he thought I should be a writer. And he wanted me to pursue journalism, and that's, that's one of my cemetery stories, is I couldn't spell cemetery, so I failed Journalism 101, and I went into visual arts, but I published my first poem. That's something we have in common. I was, I was a journalist. Spell. No, I can't spell. Yes, I spelled cemetery four different ways in my notes. It's a bunch of E's. Yeah, it's it all E's. Bunch E's. I was a journalism major, and I was going to be a language major and a journalism major so I could travel the world. And Mickey Logue, do you remember Mickey Logue in the journalism department? No, Did you I get was your... Jack Sims era. All right. Mickey was pre-Jack Sims. Mm-hmm. You are a baby. But he called me in one day, and I was working because my father did not pay all as well. And 
he said, um, do you really want to be a journalist? I said, oh, yes, sir, I do. I really, really want to be a journalist. I love to write, blah, blah. And he was upset that I wasn't on the Plains men's staff. And he asked me again, do you really want to be a journalist? I mean, I felt like it was biblical, you know, do you love me, Peter? Um, <laughs> and when he asked me the third time, I go, well, maybe was, I don't. Wasn't that, do you love me, Jimmy? Yeah, no, do you love me? You don't know that Bible. We'll talk Bible later, Gail. Never mind. <laughs> but anyway, so that's interesting that your dad wanted you to be a journalist yeah, and you and stuck I, to it. Good I would you. have liked that too. But um, you know, they had that spelling test, 100 words, and you had to get them all. You had to make a 75 or an 80, and I just couldn't do it. Um, so I left the journalism program. But Jack continued to send me mail. He would He would send me notes and... Whenever I appeared in the newspaper, he would send me that with a with a little funny note attached to it. So I always felt like even though he essentially kicked me out of the program, I stayed in his consciousness for some yeah. reason. I bet not a single journalist major at Auburn can pass that test now. It's very likely. You know, it's, it reminds me of the, I don't know if it's an apocryphal story or not, about John Kennedy, who was a notoriously poor speller. And he said, that's what secretaries are for. Of course, that was a different day and time. Well, that but, was what my You know, that's what spell check is for. Hey. Spell check can't spell. My students at Auburn used to say to me, I don't need to know how to spell. I'll have a secretary. And I would just look at him kind of like people on the office look at the camera. Yeah, you're going to have a secretary that can spell. <laughs> Great. Well, no, the secretary's also in your class. Right, or was. Well, the reason we're gathered here today is to do a mystic podcast about graveyards. And um, I was thinking about, this morning I was thinking about, wonder why we wanted to do a mystic podcast on graveyards. Because we're all creepy. Because we're all creepy. And because I think graveyards, because they're both functional and sublime, no, they're both functional and aesthetically pleasing, I think they meet the criteria for being sublime. Mm -hmm. So they're attractive to us. And if they're functional, aesthetically pleasing, and we love them, then Marie Kondo, what's her name? Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo will let us keep them keep in our them. lives. That's right. So, That's right. So we, we've all come to the table today with stories that at least tangentially have to do with cemeteries. I want to say I was one I was strongly in favor of talking about graveyards instead of cemeteries so that we would not have to deal with a spelling issue. And also because graveyard is just a better word. It Cemetery is. sounds so it bland. Is. So I I did some extensive research on my phone and found one of the differences being that a graveyard is a burial ground attached to a church where the property is attached to a church. And a cemetery might be a municipal area, um, not necessarily part of the church grounds. That's interesting. I'm so glad you did that, Mary. I did that, too. And the word cemetery comes from a Greek word, meaning sleeping place. So a cemetery does not have to be a graveyard. The catacombs are cemeteries. Awesome. So, or I would imagine if you buried your dad in caves on a hillside, mm -hmm that would also be a cemetery as opposed to a graveyard. Well, what is a calaverium? Well, that's got skull in it. Yeah. In Spanish, calavera. Well, there is a columbarium at St. Dunstan's in downtown Auburn yeah, where the remains of our dear friend Kent Ekman lie in state. What do they do? What do remains do? 
where they are, and it doesn't look like there are very many other folks in that columbarium. So it's one of those against the wall. I know there's a better word for it, so I'm just going to hush. From, it comes from the word uh, stones that eat flesh. Ooh. Oh. I was hearing calavera, which is the word skull in Spanish. That's what I was hearing. I'm sure that the Latin, you know, ties over into the Spanish. But that's where they put the remains of, of cremated remains, columbariums. Yes? That's what I thought. Yes, they have to be cremated. Yes. Yeah, they wouldn't, well, not in New Orleans, but that's that's for later. I read in an Atlantic article uh, preparing for today um, that in America, we didn't really have cemeteries outside of graveyards at churches until 1831, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. They have just discovered the oldest cemetery, they think in the world, but very likely in Germany, in Gross Weidenwalde, in, in Germany. It, they believe, is 8,500 years old. Wow. I know. That's, you wouldn't even think anybody would be in well, Europe then. To me, one of the most interesting things about um, uh, German graveyards is you can only keep your plot for a certain number of years. Right. And 30 is tops. And if your people want to spend 5000 or 10000 more dollars, then you can have it for 30 more years. Otherwise, they're going to bury you deeper and put someone on top of you. But they do that anyway, because usually they have a, um, a family plot that is probably as big as this table, which is about three by eight, maybe. I was, I wouldn't say shocked, but surprised when we went to visit friends in Austria. They went to the graveyard and showed the family plot. And she said, you know, her in-laws were buried there, her husband was buried there, and literally it was an area this big. And this is before the Catholic Church allowed cremations, so... The bodies were buried there. Yeah, they were stacked. Well, you I know, it's not a bad idea. Well, the thing about it is I want to be buried in the backyard of my parents' home in Russell County because that's where my dogs are buried. And you have to jump through all kind of hoops to get to do that. So I have decided in the meantime that if I'm cremated, John David can bury me anywhere he wants to without the government knowing. He can just dot my ashes out there in the backyard dig a hole and put my ashes in. The Mystic Defender and you will talk later. Okay. Oh, there's millions of people buried illegally everywhere. Well, but their whole bodies Lakes. are just... Their, bo- their yeah. bodies... No, no, not their bodies. Well, you that, want your whole body buried? I wanted my whole body buried well, there with the, the dogs. But say we had a swimming pool <laughs> and we were going to drain the pool and when my parents don't live there anymore, we were going to drain the pool. John David was going to dress me up in one of my outfits and lay me in state in the empty pool, and then he was going to bring all my treasures and put them around me and put plexiglass over the top. And he was going to charge would you people. Be yes, I was. I would be preserved in honey. But then we were going to charge admission. She really wants to be an Egyptian princess. He was going <laughs> to charge money for people to come see me. Can I say, damned if on this podcast, damned if my parents didn't fill in their pool this summer. So oh, there, darn went, it, there went my. What was Mama thinking? So now it's just going to have to. I'm going to have to be cremated because my perfectly preserved Egyptian princess body can't be in the drained pool anymore. Now, how is he going to preserve you? Honey. There's always the drive-through museum. Well, there is the (laughs) drive-through museum. Well, in the past, people were embalmed in both frankincense and honey. So 
I had thought something along those lines when Joanne was starting that that honey farm she was starting. I was I had in the back of my mind going back to it. So I, I'll I'll definitely put some honey aside for you, honey. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, well, didn't all your bees die? Yes, they did. They um, I don't think the queen was a very robust queen. Are you speaking of me? No, 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 no. The bee queen. Oh, I see. Not the queen. No one will ever the accuse queen. me of not being <laughs> robust. robust. <laughs> well, I want to ask if, if all of you have memories playing in graveyards growing oh, yes. up. I mean, I think that's where it starts, don't you? As, yes. as children, we all played in graveyards. Yes, and um, I think Truman Capote did too. I'm sure. And there's a he wrote a, a short story about someone sitting on a grave singing. Do you know this one? It's a Christmas short know. story. Of course, in a graveyard. Well, speaking of Truman Capote, since I brought him up, he is one of my all-time favorite graveyards, which is in, I think it's in downtown Hollywood, but it's the Pierce Brothers Westwood Memorial Park. Marilyn Monroe is there, and as soon as she got her ashes put in the Colibarium, Hugh Hefner bought the one right next to her, so when he died, he could be next to Marilyn Monroe. How romantic. Yes, it's what a, it's a great graveyard, and if you're ever in L.A., you should make it your business to go to the Pierce Brothers Westwood Memorial Park, because not only is Hugh uh, there in Maryland, but so is Farrah Fawcett, Rodney Dangerfield, um, Jack Lemon, Natalie Wood, Dean Martin, Roy Orbison, and Truman Capote, and that's just to name a very few. So they went there instead of Forest Lawn. Right, right. Well, and then there's Forever Hollywood, which is another yeah, wonderful one. I'd heard about Forever. That's why I was saying, why not Forever Hollywood? Because that's what I heard. I've always heard that cemetery. The last time I was at Forest Lawn, because I love to go to cemeteries, and if I visit a town, I go, there's a sign-up that said, uh, if you remove flowers from these gardens, calling it a garden, um, you will be prosecuted. And behind this sign is a herd of deer eating every fresh flower uh, in, the, in the gardens. But back to Pierce before I, I stop. Uh, back to Pierce uh, Brothers. There are three favorite epithets I have there. One is Mel Blanc, or Blank, who did the Looney Tunes cartoons voices. And on his grave, it says, that's all, folks. <laughs> that's all, folks. <laughs> and on Rodney Dangerfield's is... There goes the neighborhood. <laughs> and on Merv Griffin, it says, I will not be right back after this message. <laughs> Where is your favorite cemetery, Melissa? Well, I, to your other question, I've only recently started playing in cemeteries. And uh, that would be Oak Hill Cemetery in Noonan, Georgia, which is also the place where my grandmother made me pose for very awkward pictures when I was six, eight, twelve. In the graveyard? Oh, yes. She had a, a favorite spot that she liked to take We'd pictures. We'd like to meet your grandmother if she's not in the cemetery. She is in the cemetery now, yeah. but she set a bench up so we could visit frequently. Oh, um, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> For the last two years, I have had the pleasure of being in the, um, the Noonan Cemetery Tour, uh, and I've gotten to play Remarkable Women. Uh, the first one was remarkable because she adopted her late brother's many children and then raised them, moved to Noonan so that they could go to College Temple 
Academy, which was a school for girls in right around this during the Civil War and after the Civil War, uh, and took care of these kids and sent them to school and got them on their way. And to this day, that family has had money. Uh, in fact, our, our McRitchie Hollis Museum is named for that family because they donated the money. So I got to play her and, you know, I had a Bible verse in my speech that I gave. And just a few weeks ago, our local uh, amateur historian came up to me and said, you know, I was talking to so-and-so whose family is friends with the family that you represented at the cemetery tour. And we're pretty sure that she was a madam in Columbus, and that's how she made all her money. Awesome. Wow. So what she, was her name? Uh, her name was Jessie McRitchie. So I don't know if that's true or not. So, you know, if you're a relative of Jessie McRitchie's listening to this, we, we don't know for sure. But Jimmy Davenport said <laughs> that uh, she may have been a madam in Columbus, and that's how she but, bought that lovely home. But that was like Civil War That time. was Civil War. Okay. And then yeah. the second one I played, uh, we knew from the outgo that she was a criminal. Her name was Daisy Grace, and she essentially murdered her husband because he was spending all her money. So I got to play Daisy Grace at the grave of and her husband, Gene. And what is, that, what is that book you have? It's called Rich Georgian Strangely Shot by Tom Hughes, and it's about uh, the death of Gene Grace of Noonan, Georgia, at the hands of his wife, Daisy. Uh-huh. We have a graveyard tour here in Auburn, too. It's every other year, not every year. Some of us have even been in it, I think. Some of us have. One of the things about being friends with Gail is that you find yourself in situations that you would never otherwise be in. For me, the most unlikely was, you know, was leading a tour of at a, in somebody's home at Christmas and having no idea what I was talking about. But one of the things Gail was, roped me into doing was um, not just being a part, playing a part in the Pine Hill Cemetery tour, but doing some research, which I had to go to the Auburn University Library and dig and dig and write these, write the scripts. And then I played uh, a part. No, I didn't play a part. I took the people around on tours and sometimes we'd get backed up and I'd have to make up stories so that, you know, we wouldn't get ahead. My best stories was about the Creek Indians hanging people right over there in that tree. <laughs> and the family woke up in the morning and saw their relatives hanging. But I did tell them at the end that I had made it up. Oh. That cemetery. You're fired. And I, not only that, not only that, I didn't see a gale anywhere there at all. Like, I was there. I did my research. I wrote my scripts. I went. I attended. I dressed up. No gale. I did, I did the night before. Then... Two years later, I was back, and no Gail. And Gail had had a, she, she had decided she'd had enough of it, but had forgotten to tell me. This but I like, mostly enjoyed it. This sounds like our artist friend, Mary Ann, who delegates duties yeah. and disappears. Yeah, delegate and disappear. <laughs> but there are some but really she's funny so rags sweet. there. We, we want to do these things for her. Yes. She goes, oh, honey, do you think you could make hors d'oeuvres for 50 people? <laughs> Melissa, I think you mentioned spending time with Robert Overstreet in a graveyard. Yes. When we were um, talking earlier. A couple of decades ago, I was at uh, his farm, Brinson's Race, down in Statesboro, Georgia. And he had a tradition of going to the family cemetery on New Year's Eve and being with the deceased relatives. So we spent the evening hearing stories of um, his family members, some of whom had been slaves with the family and some of them his um, direct ancestors. 
and we sang songs to them and told stories and we had our drinks in our hands. Is this like a Day of the Dead thing? Well, it was uh, an hour of the dead from about uh, 11.30 to 12.30. Was uh, it on November 2nd? No, no, it was on New Year's Eve. Oh, so December right. 31st and you know it was misty and dark and it was it was wonderful were it's you a ever great in, memory were you ever in his Raiders Theater production I was that, yes I was they were the most they, they were perhaps the most valuable part of my education at Auburn mm-hmm. University yes well that is very Victorian the Victorians yeah. would go and have picnics in around with their family members in the cemetery I read that, that yeah. uh, they would walk, they would have carriage races, yeah. they would have picnics, and it was, it was the play was, it was the public park of the day, exactly. which brings me to uh, a contemporary issue, Pokemon in cemeteries. Have you guys had to face that here in Auburn? No, what is it? We did um, it at the museum. Pokemon? Yes, a few years ago, uh, two, three years ago, there was a problem with Pokemon Go players traipsing through the cemetery during funerals or other somber moments, and they passed (laughs) legislation in Noonan to prohibit playing Pokemon Go in Oak Hill Cemetery. I want to say right now I would like to have Pokemon Go, several of them doing this while I'm put in (laughs) the ground. But in a way, I mean, that's what they used to do. They used to do fun things in the cemetery. That brings me to the other favorite cemetery ever um, in Hollywood is called Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and it's near Paramount Theater. And the first time I wanted to go there, I looked it up on TripAdvisor, and TripAdvisor said, you know, they were writing it and said, uh, wonderful refreshments and appropriate for young and old. And I'm thinking, oh, that's very unusual for a cemetery. But as it turns out, it's also an event center. Oh. And they have concerts there. And the other thing they have there is the Day of the Dead uh, celebration on November 2nd. It's a big deal. I don't know who this person is because I'm not a music person, but Johnny Ramone is buried in this cemetery, and it's a life-size statue of him playing a guitar. Yes. And my young son, who's a music freak, well, he's, he's not young anymore. Oh, dear. Somebody's calling to say they it love must me. Be, I know. It must be a mystic moment time. Yeah. Well, somebody tell me about their cemetery. Well, when I was growing up in rural Russell County, I grew up between a Methodist church and a Baptist church, and I have a little bit of a story about each one. The Methodist church had a grave. Of course, this was an old church where families had wrought iron fences around their family plots, but all families didn't have the wrought iron fences. But outside of the boundaries of what was the actual cemetery was a brick grudge, just a brick, a rectangle of bricks. And it belonged to a man named Patrick Murphy, who had come through in the spring. He was a handyman who just traveled. I guess he, I don't know. I've never been able to find out whether he traveled by wagon or on foot. But he came through yearly and did odd jobs and then went on to somewhere else. And he happened to die in Jernigan while he was there. And he didn't have, they didn't have anything to do with them. So they buried him behind the cemetery at the Methodist church I grew up in. And one of my early, early stories makes reference to Patrick Murphy's Forgotten Grave. One well, you know, that sounds like something out of... Carcace. Well, yeah, but um, Mary Helen Brown's um, book. Yeah, kind of. Where they had that 
slave buried a part yeah. that guy buried a part right. yeah. well he wasn't a member of the church but he was an irishman who came through and did handyman work he was catholic and they wouldn't let him in the methodist possibly <laughs> possibly Catholics do that too and then <laughs> well that reminds me of one of the things we learned at overstreet's mm-hmm. evening his ancestors had had children with the enslaved people Mm -hmm. and they were buried adjacent to the overstreet plots in unmarked graves and there was a chain link fence around the white members of the family but not around Around the the enslaved people and his closest neighbor at brinson's race was a descendant of his ancestor who had uh, whose mother had been an enslaved person and her name was fairby chance Wow, and I've never forgotten. Beautiful. Yeah, it was name. spelled P H A R A B E Chance. That's beautiful. It is. Well, the Baptist Church was up the road, and the story I have to do with it, Mount Lebanon, somebody that I'm not blood kin to, but kin to by marriage is, I guess, great great grandfather, great grandfather, great grandfather was buried there. Well, all, that whole family was buried there. That was the Baptist arm that married into the Methodist arm. But one day the lady that cleans the church was at Mount Lebanon cleaning the church. And of course she'd heard so much on Columbus News about drive-by shootings that when she heard a loud explosion, she hit the floor behind the pulpit because she thought there'd been a drive-by at Mount Lebanon while she was cleaning. So she crouched down behind the pulpit for a while until you know she figured the coast was clear. And then she crept out, and she couldn't see anything. None of the windows were shut out. So she eased out into the graveyard, and this relative by marriage's grave had exploded. And his body was, the top was off the coffin, and his remains were there. I have a photograph, but I couldn't find it. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) Stop right there. You have a photograph of the remains? Yes. There were parts of a pinstripe suit still intact. How long had he been in the grave? That's what I'm trying to remember. He probably died when my daddy was a young, either boy or young man, and daddy's 90 now. I don't, I don't know how so long. So a while. But, th- but it was way too long for gases to have built up. You know how they always say. Yeah, the Germans think that the, at the end of 30 years there's very little left, and that's why they well, why? chose that. We don't know because he'd been buried way too many years for it to have been gases. I think it was Alabama Gasco. We don't have that out there, though. But there was also left on his skull parts of his red mustache and red hair. And Daddy and two cousins who were his this man's great-grandchildren all went up there to decide what are we going to do because and and you went to take pictures they took the pictures i was in auburn unfortunately but because mr i'm not going to call the name you know was now not buried any longer and so daddy went up there with his friends that he had grown up with to make a decision and i said well what did they say when they walked up and saw their grandfather lying there like that and daddy said well so and so said well i guess we see where i got my red hair (laughs) so those are my most memorable local 
cemetery stories from Jernigan? Well, I'm going to go back a second to playing in the cemeteries. And the cemeteries and graveyards were some of my favorite places to play. I have a lot of memories of riding my bicycle as fast as I could. There are often paths, you know, walking paths through the graveyards and cemeteries. But also in between the graves, there are often hills that you can go over really fast on your bicycle and sort of go airborne. And I have lots of memories of my brother and me and my dog and the neighborhood kids doing that. Today I was tried to refresh my memory on a book that I'd read that I wanted to bring up called The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. Uh, Y'all read read that a few years ago. Fabulous, fabulous. It's Newbery Award winner book in 2009. It's for young adults, but come on, it's Neil Gaiman. It's good. And I highly recommend the The Graveyard Book. So I'll tell you the backstory that he was out with his uh, watching his son riding his tricycle in a graveyard. And he thought to himself that he could write a story someday about a child growing up in a graveyard, sort of like the Jungle Book, where rather than being raised by jungle animals, he was raised by supernatural spirits. That was in 1985. And then he sat down to write the book in 2008. So that gives me hope for all those ideas that I haven't written yet. And that is how... Not to mention giving Joanne some hope. That's right. So it is a book about a boy whose family was murdered and he's being raised by supernatural beings in the graveyard. Oh, that's a Robert Downey Jr. movie. Have you seen that movie where the bus goes over a bridge and they're all, the only person that can see them is a kid named Robert Downey Jr. That not named him, <laughs> who's played by Robert Downey Jr. It's a great movie. What's that movie, Mary? Robert Downey Jr. played a kid? Well, no, he played the adult version of the the kid. I don't know. That does ring a bell. It's a great movie. Well, this is a little more story-ish than that. He's actually got parents and people in the graveyard. He tries to matriculate into um, the the world of the living. His name is Nobody, which is brilliant. I highly recommend that. Is his middle name Witch and his last name is Brilliant? No. <laughs> um, that sounds wonderful. It's very I'm good. I'm writing very that good. down. It's fine. When you know, and I don't, think I'm being, I don't think I'm giving spoilers, but when you know that he was thinking about the Jungle Book, you can really see the parallels. Those of you that are Jungle Book jungle fans. Jungle Book fans. I used to call John David Mowgli. Who was Baloo? Have you read the book? Uh, let, let me segue again to a graveyard story about Baloo. Doesn't Louis Prima sing Baloo? In the Disney version, the good version of the whatever old version, Louis Prima sings the Baloo song. And Louis Prima's grave is in Metairie in Louisiana. And Joe and my husband Joe and our friend Peter and I set out to find that grave. Well, we found the cemetery, but it was enormous. It was pouring down rain. And after about, I don't know, 40 minutes of driving around, we found Louis Prima's grave. It, It was full of trinkets like they do in New Orleans. They left all kinds of trinkets. It was real close to an Egyptian pyramid grave in Metairie. Turns out that graveyard, excuse me, cemetery, is 65 acres. I didn't feel too bad about getting lost. Well, while we're in New Orleans, have you been to Marie Laveau's grave? Of course. Well, many times. Since I have, I've had many friends who've gone there. I had one who did a ritual haircutting there and left his hair on her grave. In exchange for something. Well, she, Since you've seen it firsthand, yeah. why don't you tell she's us about it? there or not. It's all very mysterious. Yeah, it is. The daughter and her. And, and she's in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, which is New Orleans' big famous cemetery, where the psychedelic acid trip scene from Easy Rider was filmed. And if you haven't seen that in a, in a while, it's worth going back and watching it. But um, after that, they, they no longer allow any commercial filming in in the number one cemetery for obvious reasons it's quite something 
But Marie Laveau's grave is... They don't uh, allow filming in that cemetery? Correct. Because they're filming in a lot of cemeteries around the world. And in New Orleans, they're filming in a lot of cemeteries also. But after that particular scene from Easy Rider, that particular cemetery's parish said no more. Marie Laveau's grave is... All those graves in that, or all those tombs, look like little houses. They call them cities of the dead in New Orleans. And they they have street addresses and eaves and everything. And and hers looks... But pretty much the same as everybody else's, except it's covered in grigri, and yeah. people leave jewels and trinkets and locks of hair and alcohol, and then the three X's that people write all over the voodoo priestesses and whoever's graves. Apparently, that's there's nothing about that in voodoo. It's something that somebody came that's up Pillsbury with. Pillsbury flower, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's there's it's just a thing, and it's so destructive, and because of the destruction that the adoring fans of Marie Laveau's have wrought upon her tomb, the cemetery, number one, is now closed to the public. You have to go through only with a tour guide. Now, you can be a tour guide pretty easily and sign up to be a small tour guide and pay like 40 bucks to take a tour through the cemetery. So people are still going through, but you can't wander on your own. There's just been too much, too much adoration. Last spring, I went through a graveyard in Cuba with a guide, and um, the most beautiful, all the statues in the graveyard were beautiful, but one particular statue was so stunning, it was a mother holding her baby. It, and it had that Mary quality to her, very angelic, but she wasn't Mary. But she had died in childbirth, and uh, the baby as well. And so it is their habit, I guess, when they when that happens, that they bury the mother and the baby together, and the baby's usually uh, between the mother's legs. So uh, the husband the next day said he wanted to see her one more time to dig her up, and then that would be he would be okay if he could just see her one more time, so they did. And when they did, the baby was in her arms. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, one of, one of the things that... I guess one of the many things that attracted me to the Pre-Raphaelite writers and painters was the story of when Rossetti, when Lizzie, Lizzie, is Lizzie the one who got pneumonia posing as Ophelia in the bathtub, I believe, and who knows? And she died, and she had the red curly hair, and he was so heartbroken that he buried his handwritten manuscripts with her. So time passed, and everybody said, Dante Gabriel, you shouldn't have done that. You know, you need those poems. And so they went out into the graveyard one night, had torches, dug Lizzie up and um, to get his manuscripts out, and her hair had continued to fill the coffin, and her fingernails had grown. And when, they, when he took the packet of poems out, her red curly, you know, red curly hairs were interlaced with the manuscripts. That, that of course... When I learned that, I knew I was going to be an English major. You know, that's the kind of thing that drew me right in. I have a couple of travel cemetery stories. Did you know that, uh, has anybody been to Doc Holliday's grave in Glenwood Springs, Colorado? My uh, stepmother moved to Glenwood Springs, and we went to visit and had to make a pilgrimage up a pretty high hill in the dry heat of Colorado in um, July, I think it was, to Doc Holliday's grave. And people leave cigarettes and playing cards and coins at his grave. And I only learned then that Doc Holliday is from 
near where I live in Georgia. And they don't know if his body is in, is it Grantville? It's either, they don't even know that he's buried in Glenwood Springs. That might not be his grave site. He may be in Grantville, Georgia, about 20 minutes from my house. Oh my goodness. So that was fun. And then the other one is I traveled to Denmark in the 90s when I was between semesters in graduate school to visit a dear friend of mine, and her home was adjacent to Karen Blixen, Isak Dennison's farm. And one day, while she and her parents were out running errands, I put on my walking clothes, and I walked across to Blixen's farm and found her grave. But I did not have a camera. This was, of course, before we had phones on our cameras. So I borrowed a family camera of theirs and took it with me, and I took a selfie of myself at Denison's grave which her family did not know was on their roll. And they had it printed. And they're, what is your weird American friend doing taking pictures <laughs> of herself at our neighbor's grave? Robert Overstreet had imbued in me a, a love and respect for Isak Dennison. And I needed that damn right. picture. And your grandmother had taught you to pose at graveyards. That's right. I'd been taking pictures in graveyards for a long time. Have all of y'all been to, uh, this is a long way from Denmark, but have y'all been to the valley to see the grave of little Nadine? No. In the dollhouse. Uh-huh. That's uh, always a, when I would teach. Um, is that in Ladonia? Fredonia? N- no, it's, it's well, I, it, I went there. I just call it valley. Okay. Because I don't think it was in Fredonia. You know, it could have been the time I know that I went to Fredonia, I went a different way to get there, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Well, Valley is about four or five different things put together. Yeah. Five whole towns put together. When I used to teach Carlos Fuentes, the doll queen, I would always take the clipping from the newspaper about little Nadine's grave in because my students thought that the doll queen was just so weird. And so I would say, well, here's a real life story. So, you know, this is not so weird because it's fiction. It's human grief and suffering. She had wanted a dollhouse for Christmas and died at four years old shortly before Christmas. And so her parents built the dollhouse. And if I understand right, her grave is inside it. And they continue to change out the toys. If you go there today, they're fresh toys. I mean, people continue to put toys in there. And her tombstone, this is one of the most touching things. Her tombstone is inscribed, me want it now. Because she wanted that dollhouse, you know, she wanted that dollhouse for Christmas, and then she didn't live to Christmas to get it. It's kind of heartbreaking. Her parents are buried next to the dollhouse, and they have the little whole area fenced in with the fence. You know, there's always, and we could go into symbolism and things that people have made into, you know, put on their cemeteries, but... You know, when we did that tour, there was the grave gale of that young boy that was so touching, but it had he been... He died of a bee sting. Yeah. And they went to um, somewhere in Europe to get this particular marble to make that boy kneeling, and it had been vandalized so many so times. So many times, yeah. Is this the Miles... That's in our cemetery. I I used to go to that grave all the time when I moved to Auburn. Well, now it's missing all its digits and its head. Is is his head back? I don't know. Mm -mm. I think the head of the little boy is gone, and so is the head of the lizard. The lizard. The lizard's head's gone, too. Yeah, I mean, come on, vandals. At one point, the whole statue was stolen but returned. Yeah. Currently, it's headless twice. Well, I... Beautiful, um, though. Talking about leaving things on the graves, 
I went to uh, Père Lachaise in Paris, which I think I've mentioned before. It's absolutely beautiful graveyard. Jim Morrison's buried there. And I didn't realize this because I had seen a bunch of people sitting around the grave drinking, but when I, I was reading about uh, Père Lachaise and it said that the tradition is to pour half the beer on the grave and Absolutely. drink the other half. Yes. And it's a good they, Irish tradition. They actually do have um, guards nearby because there's been so much graffiti and so forth. Also buried in that in uh, that same graveyard cemetery, I guess, is Chopin. Oh. And we when we I told this before, I said it was Beethoven, but no, alas, it is Chopin. Oscar Wilde, and they they leave uh, lipstick prints from kissing his gravestone. Molaire, Edith Piaf. Is that the cemetery where Wadsworth went to write, and then also Lazarus went to write, the lady who wrote the Colossus? I, I don't know, but very possibly. They filmed a lot of movies there. It's a gorgeous graveyard, not just because there are famous people there. There was, yeah. Are you thinking of Sylvia Plath? Well, I just read something, it's in the back of my brain, about him going there and writing a very somber poem, sitting amongst the gravestones, and then her going writing the hopeful poem, The Colossus, you know, that's on the Statue of Liberty, and that somehow they met. I mean, she was quite young, he was quite old at the time, and they met, and had a, a relationship, you know, they're writing. Supposedly, Abelard and Heloise are buried there. Their bones are put together in the same grave. Is George Sand buried there? I don't know. With Chopin? Yeah, exactly. I would recommend it. That's what I like to do when I'm touring places is to ask to see the graveyards. Can't not have a good time in a graveyard. My great-aunt Evelyn instilled that in me. Every trip she went on and she liked to go, she'd come back with um, rocks out of cemeteries in the foot of the car and she'd bring me one. This rock came from so-and-so. And then she gave me some, I don't know what you call them, they're really pretty. They're not people's name markers. I think they're foot markers from her husband's family cemetery. I don't know what, they must have been redoing it, and she collected all these things and gave me a bunch oh, yeah. of them. It's just a little It's small. a brown thing, like a little, yeah, mm-hmm. a little it's really arch. pretty. There's some of those, or there had been some of those in Pine Hill Cemetery here. Well, she, when they were, I guess, cleaning up or redoing or something, her husband's side of the family's cemetery she got those and left them for me the fence around the family reminded me when i went to see uh, buffalo bill cody's a grave there's a victorian fence looking around it with the points on top mm-hmm. but they're all turned inward <laughs> so, keep them in <laughs> keep them in or the ghost out maybe they're all turned outward i don't know well, that that reminds me of some of my andersonville stories has everybody been to andersonville yes. the pow camp yeah, yes. so the first time i went was in the in the 70s when my grandfather died and we buried him in andersonville uh, and my father threatened to leave me there because i was asking too many questions and that's i have a poem about that in cameo but then my grandmother died and they buried her on top of him yes. at andersonville and then my father died and we buried him at andersonville and then my uncle david died and we buried him at andersonville so it's been this regular pilgrimage and it turns out that my stepmother the one i went to see in, in glenwood springs colorado her ancestor had died at Andersonville as a POW wow. and oh, wow. is buried 
you know, a couple football fields away from my father. So when we go, we can see him, George right. Manoa Hall, and we can see my dad and the rest of my dad's family, pretty much. I was going to say, little circles of life. They're just too tight. I have a photograph of my mama, and mama's 91 years old now, and I have a photograph of her. She must be two or three at Andersonville, standing by a, a grave or a monument, because her family, her family's from Georgia, and they would go there for picnics. They had picnics at Andersonville, sort of like y'all were talking about, the the cemeteries or graveyards being like parks at one point in time. I remember the Truman Capote movie, Geraldine Page sat on a grave and sang an Irish ballad. I well, think we need more of that. Yeah. More singing you, in the graveyard. Irish whiskey over the grave. Could it have been the grass harp? I think the it, grass harp is one of the most beautiful stories. Possibly. I'm brain dead, you know. But the Christmas story is a Christmas memory. And Geraldine Page was in the first movie version of that. We could look it up on our phones, but we've had to turn them off because so many people are calling us during this podcast. I I have to throw in another uh, literary reference to a fantastic (laughs) graveyard book. Have you all read Lincoln and the Bardo? I have. Yeah, that's pretty funky. It is really fun. And And did you know he was dead? Who, George Saunders? No, when you're reading. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. He's in the Bardo. I actually listened to it. It takes about eight hours to listen to, and it's narrated about 116 different people. So I think the next time I revisit it, which I will because it's really fun, I'll listen to it and read it at the same time. That's supposedly the best, the best way to hear it. I also looked that back up to make sure I had my facts right, and that was inspired when George Saunders was walking in Graveyard in D.C., and heard the tale about Lincoln visiting his son in the few days where he was interned in a family crypt. And Saunders got this picture in his head of some combination of the Lincoln Memorial and the Pieta and thought of Lincoln just cradling his son, his dead son. And that inspired the whole book, which he wrote 20 years later. So another shout out to procrastinators. I have to tell you about these these slave cemetery in Noonan, Georgia, uh, before we run out of time. Um, There have been complaints uh, that we respect and honor the white residents of Oak Hill Cemetery in Noonan, but we don't pay attention to the fact in Noonan that we have maybe the largest cemetery of enslaved people in the South. The only one that we know of that's bigger is in New York, and it has about around 400 people in it. The one in Noonan has 240-something people in it. It was known colloquially uh, for a while, but it wasn't until the city wanted to put in walking paths for, you know, for, for recreation that there was an outcry not to do that through this cemetery. So they did um, analysis of the ground and found 240-something bodies and marked it off, and there's now an African-American museum there, but it still struggles, uh, and I, I would like to see that space receive the honor it, it deserves, and but I actually it, think having a walking path through it is not such a bad idea. Right. No, like that's it, a great idea. It just needs idea. to be a respectful walking path. Why is this place struggling? Uh, there's no funding. Oh, I see. Yeah, these are all unmarked graves. Uh, there was only one grave that was marked, and it was of a three-month-old child whose name was Charlie Birch, and his family, in the years after the Civil War, they were able to start a successful restaurant for the black community. And when he died at three months old, they made a concrete marker for his grave. 
this would be a wonderful project for an art class because you're not going to have names for these people. You're only going right. to have this place where their remains are. Well, they're looking at actually exhuming some of the bodies and doing some DNA analysis. Wow. Well, you know, an art class could make lovely markers. We need a horticultural class to yes, come and in and a get horticulture rid of the poison ivy well. that's yeah. still there. Yeah, and tell too. us where this is again. It is on Farmer Street in Noonan, Georgia. Is there... A, a movement to donate for this cause, or is there a place? There is an African-American museum there that takes care of the cemetery, and yes, they can receive donations to support the work that they're doing. When the grave diggers came to dig the grave for my mother, and I've, I've got either six or eight plots at Pine Hill Cemetery, and I think they're the last ones. Several people have asked me, could they buy a couple, and I keep thinking... Do I want to spend eternity next to these people? I'm going to have to think about it. But um, when they were burying my uh, mother, the grave digger said, uh, if we hit a remains of, and this was an Indian or a slave, then we will move your mother over to the next plot since you own it. And I said, no, 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 no. We're going to move you know, the Indian over to the next plot. They're welcome to spend eternity with me, but I'm afraid Mother would have a fit if she weren't <laughs> next to my father and, and would haunt you. Before we run out of time, I just have always liked this story too. In Butler, Georgia, there's a small cemetery and a churchyard, graveyard, whatever, whatever the one that's in the churchyard is. Graveyard. There's a graveyard. It, I don't know whether it's the Methodist or the Baptist church, but I have two relatives that died before I ever knew them, sisters named Savannah and Augusta, and they're buried on either, they shared the same husband at two different times. He married one of them, and she died, and then he married the other one. So he lies buried between Savannah and Augusta, just to show my family's, I guess, love of the state of Georgia. Well, you know, I used to ride horses all over the place out in Gold Hill, Alabama, and there were little, not no longer in use churches, and we'd get off those horses and find all kinds of unmarked graves. There were graves marked with stones, and there were small mm-hmm. baby graves, and I don't know what's being done about that. There are a lot of shell that. graves in those old southern. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, we just get off our horses and ride around and, and walk around, I mean, and pull back the briars, and there they were. And now, as an adult, that seems so unlikely, but... It's not a fan. Are there still shells washing up out of the ocean, or has Exxon managed to dissolve all of them too? Well, I think there are. <laughs> you mean in real life? You have to in be real in, life. You have to be in certain currents, but shell graves are beautiful. Yes, there are a lot we of shells. By the have way, our place down at the beach, Orange Beach, not a lot of shells come up. But at Perdido Pass, where you walk out, I'm sure y'all have been there. It's gorgeous. You have to walk a good long while. Sometimes in the morning, lots of shells wash up. And of course, in Sanibel, lots and lots of shells wash up. I've never been to Sanibel, but... I have, and there are a lot of shells. And my favorite little beach place, Edisto, is completely loaded with shells. I, mean, <laughs> I hope you bring shells home. Shells. Hmm? Do you bring shells oh, home? I bring tons of shells Good. home. It also has loads of graves and cemeteries, which I've toured all, of which I've toured all. Well, Postman Pete is here saying that there are five minutes left and we need to have a mystic moment. Ding, 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 ding. 
Who had anything mystical happen to them this week? Well, do I get to count throwing the box of rubber gloves in my washing machine? You do get to tell that. You do get to tell that. Well, being the kind person that everyone knows I am, I had guests for dinner this week, so I wore gloves because I had a cough, and I didn't want to give them turkey and the flu. So I... When the guests were about to arrive, I took the whole box, this huge box of I don't know how many gloves, and put it on top of the, the washer and dryer. And I suspect everybody, before their company comes, loads up the top of the washer and dryer with stuff they don't want the company to see. But, and then when I went to wash all the stuff, you know, the tablecloths and everything, unbeknownst to me under this was the box of gloves, which I washed with everything. And it's taken me mm, four days to get it out of the washing machine. <laughs> it's just in millions. And then I had to separate the, what, 100 gloves? Is that, I don't know, is it 200? And dry them out. So that was my mystical moment. Anybody else have a mystical moment? Or a moment that you want to share? I have a friend who had a mystical moment. Well, and I can that. embarrass her by telling this. Um, I'll start by saying this is the same friend that in the 1990s, she and I went for a walk through a Salem churchyard. And as we were walking through among the buried witches, I thought to myself, I, it would be so cool to see a grave with my birthday on it. And I looked down and there was one April 1st. Oh my. 1670 And is something. this Salem, Alabama or Salem, Salem Massachusetts? Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah. She lived in Boston at the time. Because they're witches both Salem. She's, she's very... Uh, willing to believe in certain things and yesterday her husband and son were on their way to the gym and her 15 year old son knocked an ornament off the tree and she thought well I'll just let them go on I'm not going to reprimand him right now I'm going to let them go on to the gym and I'll get it later and she said she sat down and started reading and got distracted and she looked up and the ornament was back on the tree Ooh, so she called the, me and I didn't answer back in the house. And she called a few other people and she finally got someone to talk to but she was she said I really wanted a drink but I was afraid to get up and Ooh, I said I said thank you out loud and um but so, you didn't tell so, us her name so we gotta well her properly uh her name is Jennifer. Anyway, <laughs> while Jennifer. I'm on the phone with her, I told my son to call her husband, and he did. And sure enough, her husband had put it back on the tree while she was distracted. Yeah, so That's what I figured. Somebody but done it. She had a good 45 minutes of absolute terror. Well, one of these guests at the dinner where I washed the, the table napkins with the um, thousands of gloves told us something kind of mystic, and that is when she loses something... She starts imagining where it might be, and she has a pen in hand and a uh, pad, and she'll just draw pictures. And she had been out raking her yard. She lives on a palatial estate and had 24 sacks of leaves. And the next day she got up, and her car keys were gone, and she thought, it's in one of those sacks of leaves. But she would, no, she was drawing. That's what it was, and she was drawing leaves. She went, oh, it's in one of those sacks of leaves. Well, now that breaks up good old May Haley Lancaster, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I have something to tell you. I know uh, May Haley comes up now and again, I, and uh, I you know, wrote the, the article about her. Then Marion played my May Haley for the feature article. But I was telling the story of May Haley on the campus of the University of West Georgia the other day, and a police officer, a campus police officer, walked up and said, I just want you to know that I was Mahaley's ghost. 
And I said, what do you mean? And he said, when I was a teenager, I would hide in the bushes near her grave. And anytime anyone came by to visit, he would... Oh, he would make the noises and move the bushes. And, <laughs> and now he's a police officer? He's now a police officer. Well, I don't know. What does that say about our police force? They're good. That's yes. the blue. And they have a sense of humor, obviously. <laughs> I wish the person who's been sitting behind Miss Peacock's grave at the Pine Hill Cemetery, scratching and scratching every time I walk by, would come forward and confess. Scratching? Scratching and scratching. What is he scratching? The trees? It's the trees or the branches. It's just a scratch, scratch noise behind Miss Peacock's tombstone. I think it's Poe No, Poe's not even in town. Post not even in town I, right now. I say we take a mystic trip out to that cemetery, take a walk around, investigate, and report back to the Raiders. Well, I, we should have done that we earlier of, today. We, yeah, we should have. If we'd known the weather was going to be good, we would have broadcast from there. That's right. That's a good idea. Next time. Yeah. One thing about Pine Hill, since y'all brought it up, and we can keep this or leave it, I used to find letters to the daughter of someone buried there that was the daughter of one of the people that buildings on campus are named after, and some current young man, student, had fallen in love with this long-dead girl and would leave love letters for her on her grave with a rock on them. Sweet. And I would go there and find them and read them. We need to wrap this up. Who's going to do the, the summary? I will do the summary. Um, you can find, well, yeah, I know, and we wanna, the summary is... Well, we want to thank Melissa first, Thank too. you, Melissa, for thank, being thank here. Thank you for having me. It's really been fun. You can find The Mystics and The Mystic Order of East Alabama Fiction Writers on Facebook, Mystic Order of East Alabama, and you can find the podcast on Twitter at The Mystics, that's Mystics with an S pod, and YouTube Drop us a line at themysticspod at gmail.com and you can contact us directly to schedule readings or to order our books. So we'll come to your book club, to your backyard parties. Yes, it's going to be, oh, graveyard parties, absolutely. Or yes, if you want to have a Day of the Dead party. A Day of the Dead party, or that's a little ways off. Let's see, something closer, maybe an Easter party. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. (laughs) A derby party. An Easter party. Yes. We could have empty tombs. There you have it. (laughs) 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 If you... (laughs) If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell all your friends. And ladies, remember, be the flame, not not the the moth. moth.